Our friend Lise Van Boxel is dead. This is not a polite or soft way to say it. It is by design a way to say it that results in shock. I'm saying it this way because I'm trying to shock myself into believing it. From the moment I met Lise, I thought of one of my classes at St. John's College on La Nozza de Figaro. We talked about the Contessa as a great-souled human. Lise was one of those few who I think of in those terms. To explain that to our audience of veterans and active duty military who have not encountered that phrase before, allow me to translate, she gave zero fucks. Lise was one of those people who only cared for doing the right thing. Every decision, whether major or minor, was viewed and examined from the lens of, is this virtuous? For our non-military audience, you might hear that term zero fucks and think that this gives across some blasé approach and narcissistic singularity. It means the exact opposite. She cared very much, but she only cared about the good. Consequences be damned. When we were founding Combat and Classics, she said that the reason she wanted to help create this was because of the courage of veterans she had met in her classes. They weren't afraid to explore and ask questions of things that seemed sacrosanct or already settled. I think she felt that way because she wanted to be in the company of her fellows. She embodied this virtue and simply wanted others to explore those realms along with her and help others to do so like she did. I wasn't there when she died, which does and will haunt me. I have an aversion to hospitals, to injury, and to death. I pretended it was because I was halfway across the country and because she was too strong to actually be killed by something as comparatively weak as stage 4 lung cancer. But I admit that it was also the time I had to spend in hospitals when I was in the Marine Corps visiting men who'd been blown up. I remembered them and her as warriors for the good who were full of life and full of virtue. And in my mind, the system of the world wouldn't allow people like this to be actually hurt. They were too godlike for something so pedestrian as injury. But then and now, death doesn't care about systems or patterns. Death is both the end and fulfillment of logos. One of her favorite writers said, Concerning life, the wisest men of all ages have judged alike. It is no good. Always and everywhere, one has heard the same sound from their mouths, a sound full of doubt, full of melancholy, full of weariness of life, full of resistance to life. Even Socrates said, as he died, to live, that means to be sick a long time. I owe Asclepius, the savior, a rooster. Even Socrates was tired of it. What does that evidence? What does it evince? Formerly one would have said, oh, it has been said and loud enough, and especially by our pessimists. At least something of all this must be true. The consensus of the sages evidences the truth. Shall we still talk like that today? May we? At least something must be sick here, we retort. These wisest men of all ages, they should be first be scrutinized closely. Were they all perhaps shaky on their legs, late, tottery, decadence? Could it be that wisdom appears on earth as a raven, inspired by a little whiff of carrion? think about that and I say, but what is good without life? Our co-founder Jeff Black once wrote a beautiful commencement address at a graduate institute. 
a fictional account of why fiction was even taught at St. John's College. We'll borrow his technique for the following. Hey, Lise, what's up? Hi, Brian. How have you been? Pretty shitty. I'm trying to write this tribute to you, and I feel like it's pretty shitty. Why do you feel that way? Well, first off, I'm a shitty writer. Case in point, see how many times I'm using the word shitty. I'm supposed to be this well-read asshole with small Latin and less Greek, and I'm relying on a lot of quotations instead of writing anything original. Well, that's okay if you use that as a jumping-off point. But you shouldn't be afraid of writing your own stuff. Nobody does that until they do. Easy for you to say. You're dead. You don't have to do it. <clears throat> Normally, this is where, if I had any audio engineering, I would include some kind of ridiculous sitcom laugh track. And as an aside, this is the level of non-recorded discourse that went on between me and Lise, cementing even more mutual pathos, as you have to be a pretty crazy motherfucker to make jokes like this. And while Lise wouldn't make them, she would chuckle slightly when I did this. She would then ignore the obvious misdirection. That I, was, that I was attempting. <sighs> In order to avoid talking about things that were uncomfortable. So you're at least writing. That's good. It's pretty crappy, all of it but I'm, I'm at least using a thesaurus occasionally. Well, why are you writing at all? Can you stop doing that for a second? What am I doing that you want me to stop? <sighs> uh, you know what it is. No. Can you explain it to me? Is there a quotation you can use to explain it? Here already, Crito. Surely it is still early. I see. And what do you see as the parallel between Plato's Crito and this? Uh, it seems obvious to me. Will you elaborate on it a bit? Yeah, you shouldn't be dead. It's unfair, and the universe shouldn't work like this. Jonathan Shea once wrote, The painful paradox is that fighting for one's country can render one unfit to be its citizen. While I feel this is still the case with me, I think it's better because of Lee and St. John's. I'm still a terrible citizen in a lot of the ways Shea thinks of that term, but I'm a better human because of her. Fun fact about Lise and Combat and Classics. I tried to get us to do some episodes on poetry, and she was totally against it. She didn't explain why, and we had a lot of different opinions for seminars and options. So we just moved on and did the stuff that made the episodes and seminars. The following is spoken from Hedgerows by Jory Graham. To bring back a time and place, a feeling as in we're all in this together or the United States and our allies fought for freedom to bring back the experience of killing and getting killed get missed, get hit sun is with us 
holiday are you with us on this beach today? Hemisphere of one, my soul, paratrooper, greatness I house in my body, deep set, my hands on these triggers, who once could outrun his brother. <clears throat> Consumed with fellow feel feeling like a madness that does not, that must not lower its pitch. Going to the meeting place, aspire of a church in Vierville, <clears throat> seen on aerial maps. Visible from 18 miles out, if it weren't for fog and smoke and ground mist, the meeting place, the appointed time surging in me, needing to be pierced. But not me. Not me, only those to the left and right of me. Permit me to let you see me. Me. Driven half mad, but still in biography. <sighs> By the sheer misery of hatred, training, trust, fear, listening to the chatter each night of those who survive the day. There's no hum other human relationship like it. At its heart, comradeship is an ecstasy. You will die for another. You will not consider it a personal loss. Private Kurt Gable, 513th Parachute Infantry Regiment. The three of us, Jake, Joe, and I became an entity. An entity never to be relinquished, never to be repeated. An entity is where man literally insists on going hungry for another. A man insists on dying for another. Protect, bail out, no regard to consequence, a mystical concoction. A last piece of bread and gladly, you must understand what is meant by gladly. All armies throughout history have tried to create this bond among their men. Few succeeded, as well as the paratroop infantry of the U.S. Army, Army Rifle Company E-506. Fusel, it can happen to me. It can happen to me. It is going to happen to me. Nothing is going to prevent it. Webster to his parents. I am living on borrowed time. I do not think I shall live through the next jump. If I don't come back, try not to take it too hard. I wish I could persuade you to regard death as casually as we do over here. In the heat of it, you expect it. You are expecting it. You are not surprised by anything anymore. Not surprised when your friend is machine gunned in the face. It's not like your life at home where death is so unexpected. And to mother, would you prefer for someone else's son to die in the mud? And there is no way out short of the end of war or the loss of the limb. Any other wound is patched up and you're sent back to the front. This wound, which almost killed him, healed up as well, and he went back. He never volunteered. One cannot volunteer. If death comes, friend, let it come quick. And don't play the hero. There is no past. There is no past or future. Don't play hero. Okay, let's go. Move out. Say goodbye. I owe a cock to Asclepius. Will you remember to pay the debt? The debt shall be paid. Is there anything else? Thanks, Brian.
Pay the debt and don't be careless. What does this mean? What should we do? I met Lise more than 30 years ago when we were both students at college. We went to graduate school together and we taught at St. John's together. Thinking over all these years, I am most struck by how Lise combined gravity with levity. How she could pursue philosophy with great seriousness, but also with a laugh and a smile. She measured herself against some of the heaviest questions for human beings in theory and in practice, and they never weighed her down. You can hear her character in these podcasts of ours, her delight in posing a difficult question or offering a surprising and incisive interpretation, her laugh at a helpful insight. And though you could not see the twinkling of her eyes as she did so, Brian and I could. So, as an epilogue to the tragedy of Lisa's death, here is a brief sadder play of the kind that used to follow the tragedies of the Greeks. Few people know that on one occasion, when Lise was giving me a lift from Toronto to graduate school in Boston, the two of us got lost in the hazy, ambiguous realm between Canada and the United States. Lise was driving, and as I was a poor navigator, we took the wrong bridge out of the country and ended up on a tiny wooded island in the middle of the Niagara River. There was nothing on this island save a small parking lot, a copse of trees, and a statue to Asclepius, the Greek god of healing. Though we needed to make time getting back to Boston, Lisa and I were curious enough to examine the statue briefly before turning around. Secured to its base was a small wicker basket with a sign on its lid reading, Insert Rooster Here. Only those of you who have listened to our podcast on the Apology will fully appreciate this joke and my discretion. This basket was clearly meant to receive sacrifices to the god. After examining the statue, I quickly surveyed the tiny island, and once it became clear that no way forward was available, Lisa and I returned the way we had come. Recently, more than 25 years later, and nearly two months after Lisa's death, I drove back to Canada and revisited this island, the site of the only altar to Asclepius known to me. I brought with me a fresh rooster for a sacrifice. Knowing Lisa as long as I have, who better to play the role of the old friend, of her Crito? Pay the debt and don't be careless. Standing in front of the statue of the god, the rooster squawking under my arm, I pondered what to do next. Should I just stuff the bird in the basket and drive away? What does the god want? What sacrifice does he require? I opened the basket, leaned over with the bird, and was brought short by the sight of a piece of yellow legal paper lying in the basket. It was a folded sheet of the kind Lise used to take notes during graduate school. When I unfolded it, I saw that it contained several lines written in Lise's graceful looping cursive. 
This is what it said. We regret to inform you that this God is no longer accepting sacrifice due to user error. All debts have been cleared. For detailed repair instructions, please consult your copy of The Gay Science. And below this note, a quotation was transcribed. The greatest weight. What if one day or night, a demon came to you in your most solitary solitude and said to you, this life, as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live again, and innumerable times again, and there will be nothing new in it, but rather every pain and joy, every thought and sigh, and all the unutterably trivial or great things in your life will have to happen to you again, with everything in the same series and sequence. And likewise this spider and this moonlight between the trees, and likewise this moment and I myself. The eternal hourglass of existence will be turned over again and again, and you with it, you speck of dust. Would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke to you thus? Or was there one time when you experienced a tremendous moment in which you would answer him, you are a god, and I have never heard anything so divine. If that thought took hold of you as you are, it would transform you and perhaps crush you. The question with regard to each and everything, do you want this again? innumerable times again would weigh upon your actions with the greatest weight? Or how well disposed would you have to become to yourself and to life that you might long for nothing more than this final eternal confirmation and seal? Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, listeners, for listening. And thank you, Lisa.